Welcome to Soul by the Pound podcast. This podcast is a safe space designed to inspire and empower women of color to take personal responsibility in their health and mental wellness. So ladies, sit back and enjoy. This is our space. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soul by the Pound podcast. I have an amazing guest today, the wonderful Dr. Ayana Abrams. Hey, Dr. Ayana, how are you? I am well. How are you, China, tonight? I am doing so well and so excited to have you on So by the Pound podcast today. So typically before we get started with all of these questions, I know our listeners are so excited to hear from you. One of my favorite parts of the show is reading off the bio. (laughs) I just love bragging about Black women. So can I go ahead and brag on you for a second? Absolutely. I need some of that today. Okay. It it, it makes you feel good. So it (laughs) definitely makes me excited. So I will dive into it. So Dr. Abrams, Dr. Ayana Abrams is a licensed clinical psychologist and the CEO and founder of Ascension Behavior Health. And she's also the co-founder of Not So Strong. This is an initiative to improve the mental health and relationship functioning of Black women. Her specialties include racism-based trauma, mood disorder treatment, burnout prevention, I know we all need that, and helping people create and recreate healthy romantic friendship, career, and familial familiar relationships. I'm talking way too fast. She has an extensive clinical and research experience working with Black people across the sport. This, am I saying this wrong? Diaspora. <laughs> Diaspora. It's all right. It's, it's, it's late. It's all right. It's late. I'm excited because I'm so happy <laughs> to have you on. Um, and she has been featured as a speaker with the New York Times, The Atlantic Essence, Therapy for Black Girls, and Silence the Shame. She is also a contributing author to the books Emotionally Focused Therapy for African-American Couples, Love Heals and Handbook on Counseling African-American Women, Psychological Symptoms, Treatments, and Case Studies. She currently sits on the board of Black Girl Smile, Inc. and Silence the Shame nonprofit organizations. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to talk to you today. You see, I was (laughs) tongue-tied. But welcome to Soul by the Pound podcast. We're excited to have you here. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to chat with you. Now, I have to ask you, how did you get your start in doing this work? Because it's, I mean, not only are you doing amazing work when it comes to mental wellness and in psychology, but what is it that really, how did you get your start in such a niche specialization when it comes to Black women? Um, That's a a good question. I I think I I work with who I am. I work with with what I see um, and just reflecting on my experiences as a young Black woman kind of moving through kind of different settings, whether it be kind of where I grew up or moving through college or graduate school or moving to different cities and experiences of dating, all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> really wishing that, really knowing that if I had had somebody to talk to through a lot of those different experiences or transitions, um, it would have been really helpful for me. Um mm-hmm. I'm a daughter of Caribbean immigrants and my culture doesn't really understand and or believe much in terms of psychology or therapy or mental health. Um, 
and I've I've seen not necessarily in my own family, but just in in general, right? Seeing the the harm, right, that it can cause mm-hmm. to not receive help and assistance, and all the superwomen's and all that kind of stuff that that happens um, culturally, not only related to Black culture but also Black Caribbean culture. Um, so I just wanted to to in in a lot of ways kind of be what I needed. I had entered the field of psychology and my training, really interested in working with children. Um, and then I had my first like field experience with children. I was just like, never mind. <laughs> Let me rethink that. Um, and uh, started working with adults. I started working in um, college counseling centers and community mental health centers in Chicago, South side of Chicago. And I always knew I wanted to work with black people. Um, and that just really sparked when I started working with adults, it really sparked my interest in systems and families um, and kind of the, the how how family units kind of move um, and how that relates to culture and diversity and identity. Um, and that really kicked it off. Um, and then my training and my mentors, um, I just really wanted to hone in my research. I just really want to hone in <clears throat> and offer a voice um, to the research because the research is still pretty research on black people done by black people is still fairly scarce mm-hmm. um, and just wanted to be a contributing voice. Um, and then completing my training in Atlanta, this is a, a this is an amazing setting um, to work with Black people, to work with Black women um, across a whole bunch of different life experiences, um, careers, and industries um, across different education status. Like just a, a, just Atlanta is is a, a wonderful hub for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Atlanta has more recently become more of a hub with regards to like wellness. There are a lot more, there's a lot more wellness showing up, I think in general, um, but black women and wellness um, is showing up a lot more in Atlanta. Um, and I recognize that I'm a part of that because I'm a, I'm a healthcare provider, uh, but just really seeing the need um, to offer education and information um, that is not easily accessible um, or is not as easily accessible as I believe it should be. Um, and just wanting to be a voice in that. I love that. Also, you know what I like that you touched on? Because, you know, number one, I agree with the information being scarce. And that's why your page stood out to me. I was on social media, like downstairs at the gym in my building. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, Mm -hmm. I just said that on our talk when we were first talking about the interview about, like, how you provide so much information. And I think like, I know now the space is growing so much, but I, I think that like the tools and the gems that you provide, we don't see that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes back to why it's so important to have people that look like us in this field, because they understand more so the journey of mm-hmm. like a textbook answer for why I feel this way or why is this working? And mm-hmm. you definitely touch on that. And also you touch on the entire, the family, the whole unit, which does impact our own wellness. So absolutely, yeah, you are doing your thing with that. It's so, okay. I like that you touched on also like this strong woman, right? Cause we mm-hmm. hear so much about the strong black woman. And I'm so happy that this is a common thread that, I've been hearing not only from my peers, but also doing this podcast that we are like eliminating the strong black woman. Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. don't be strong. Like let's we wanna we don't have to always be strong. Can you touch on really how you got your start with your campaign, but not so strong? 
Yeah. You know, I started not so strong with a colleague of mine who's also um, my best friend from college, and she happens to be a psychiatrist up in Virginia. Okay. And we were just having a, just as friends, we were just having a, a conversation. She was just having a really hard, like, parenting moment. Um, and one of us just texted a, texted later just saying, like, man, I wish I didn't have to be so strong all the time. And it just really... It just really rang out for both of us, right, that regardless of kind of what our life circumstances are, Black women are expected to be strong and to persevere and to be resilient and to always have it and to always know what to do next and to save the world and to save themselves. Um, And she was just really having having an experience that day um, regarding that. So when we when which whatever we don't even remember which one of us said, like, I wish we didn't have to be so strong all the time. It just kind of clicked for both of us like, oh this is something that we know is not unique to us. What if we created um, a space for black women that really focused on not having to be so strong all the time, which connects to vulnerability. And we also recognize that, you know, vulnerability has become this, this kind of hotter buzzword over the past few years, but a lot of people don't really understand what it is and what it takes and why it's important. Um, So we also wanted to provide a platform and a framework to really help Black women walk through the steps of practicing vulnerability and honoring what vulnerability can look like in different relationships. And we really wanted to focus on, we really wanted to take the focus away from romantic relationships. There are so many spaces and platforms that focus on romantic love and sex and how to get your partner to do this and, you know, mm-hmm. wife goal, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> there is so much of that. <clears throat> and what we recognize in terms of our clinical experience and our own experiences is that the importance of platonic relationships and familiar relationships with Black women have saved us decades and decades, centuries over. And what is what would it look like and what could it mean to help Black women, um, you know, reestablish some of those connections that they have with other Black women and using vulnerability as a tool towards that. So what we really focus on is friendships amongst Black women, um, sisters, and kind of uh, helping sisters either kind of repair stuff or get closer, kind of deepen their relationship, as well as mother-daughter relationships with Black women, Um, that these are relationships that are so important. um, But a lot of the research and a lot of the, you know, pop psychology stuff and kind of pop culture stuff doesn't really help us understand how to be in those relationships. We're so focused on romantic partnership. Um, And what I see oftentimes in in my clinical work is that a lot of Black women are really lonely. Yeah. Um, And if we had better and deeper relationships with other Black women, I think that we could navigate life in a totally different way. and we were just, yeah, we were just, we were just talking about the that and just wanting to provide a space that <clears throat> helps Black women access intimacy, um, not related to romance. I love that, you know, and you're so right about pop culture currently because I'm like also hesitant sometimes when I tell people I have a podcast because I feel like right now is so much of that to get a man you got to do this, to get a girl you got to do this, to bring like it's so much of this like. Yep. Um, I don't want to say Kevin Samuels, but this Kevin Samuels right Listen, that's a whole nother episode. Don't start, don't start me. Don't start me. But it's so much of that rhetoric that's going on and telling us that we have to do this, we have to do that. And it's so unhealthy and counterproductive that I just love that you guys are taking this approach. Um, because we don't often talk about mother-daughter relationships. We don't talk about how to be a good friend. Like most of us, you know, are raised with don't have too many girlfriends or mm-hmm. you can't sit with us or yep. 
you know, don't keep these girls around you. Like a lot of us have grown up, particularly women of color, particularly black yes. women, we've heard these things. So I'm so happy that you guys are taking that approach to it because we all deserve to be vulnerable and we all deserve to have that sisterhood or that bond where we can, you know, create a, a community where you feel better about mm-hmm. expressing like, this is how I feel. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with black women who have been so focused on romantic relationships that when those end, they have no other resources because they haven't been cultivating friendships. They don't have anyone else to talk to. There was something that happened and then they cut somebody off or they don't talk to their, you know, other black women in their lives about these things. And it really increases their risk for a mental health crisis. Um, It really increases their risk for depression. It really increases their risk for, um, you know, an anxiety disorder because of the isolation, right? When a relationship ends and then if you don't have any spaces, right, to talk to and kind of help you move through that. Um, So that was a lot of our lean in terms of, well, if you had a cultivated space of support, it could actually help you manage the ups and downs, right, of day-to-day life a lot better. That's so true. I could tag about five people in the quote you just said. Mm -hmm. I I realized that, like, that's so true. Like, are we, we underestimate putting the value and putting the attention in those friendships. And then when the relationships end, like, you look up, you're like, dang, I really just need my friend right now. So, Oh, that's so, that's good information. What inspires you to keep doing this work? Because I know you said like, it's still, I can imagine like breaking through the barriers of all the fluff that's out there, as well as, you know, it's not so much research. What is it that really just keeps inspiring you to do this work and to keep nurturing these communities? Um, You know, it's, it's, while really difficult uh, in a number of different ways to be in in my particular industry, um, given the stories that I hear, um, it's also really rewarding um, to bear witness. And it's, it's really rewarding and it's, it's I really honor, right, how, how sacred it is to be able to bear witness to someone's change process, um, mm. to be able to, to be in space with people as they learn to meet their own needs, as they learn to name their own needs, as they get out of relationships that, that were hurting them or quite frankly, killing them, right? So it's, it's there there's something that feels hard to put into words about what it means to one be allowed the permission to bear witness to someone's process and experience and two um be able to walk alongside them as they are getting stronger as they are getting better um as they are expanding their networks as they are you know healing from different things um as they are changing their lives um it's something that's a very a very special kind of intimacy that's very unique to therapy um, that I really honor and that I, I that I take very seriously. Um, and being able to to engage in that work alongside Black women um, feels different than um, yeah, it feels different than working working with other populations. Um, and I think that's because <clears throat> I identify with some of the journeys right that I'm working with and identify with the impact of Black women healing that that has generational impact. That doesn't stop with her. That changes the trajectory of her family. That changes the trajectory of her neighborhood, of her community. That changes their trajectory. It just changes so much um, uh, in that in that one person. It's also why I work with Black couples because that changes the trajectory of a whole family unit. And that is, I think, much more powerful than people understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the shift that healing can bring to generations um, that come next and yeah, being, being a part of that. And, and even if it's just for an hour a week or two hours a month, um, is really special to me. 
I'm just smiling on this end because that has to be so rewarding and so amazing to see like the transformation that I wrote down when you said generational impact because I think we do tend to think like, I, okay, I'm fixing this, but I'm fixing it for myself. But no, we, we you're literally fixing, like helping and mm-hmm. witnessing a generational impact, which mm-hmm. is like so dope in itself. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have children, right? So I work with women who, yes, have children. This will have a direct impact on, you know, kind of their, I was going to say offspring, which sounds so biological, right? Having an offspring on, on uh, have an impact on their families. But I work with, you know, um, women who are aunts. I work with women who are community leaders, right? I work with women who are activists. Like that is also, that also contributes to generational change. It doesn't have to be only through like biological um, uh, experiences of children and families. Like there is a, because of how black women show up in the world, mm-hmm. um, because we show up in all these spaces, we every black women that I'm working with is yeah. contributing to generational change. Absolutely. We are the village. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you mentioned like some of the clients that you've worked with, you mentioned that they were able to name their own needs. And I thought that was very powerful because, you know, for so long, and I would say women as a whole tend to be selfless, but then we also see women, particularly Black women, are putting ourselves on the back burner, we're putting our family first, we're putting our jobs first, we're doing all of these things. What what was one thing you feel like, and I'm well, actually, I'm not going to limit it to one thing, but what is something you feel like Black women need to particularly hear, hear right now as you've been doing this work? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think it would be important for Black women to hear that they they are worth whatever it is that they want, Um, whether that be the career, whether that be the health, whether that be the relationship, whatever it is. Like they, They are worth the things that they want and they do not have, that they are allowed to leave spaces um, that demand that they overwork themselves in order to to access again, like health, access respect, um, to <clears throat> um, to access you know spaces where they can be vulnerable or be whole or be themselves, right? That they they deserve that because they exist, um, not because they need to earn it or to achieve it. I think what you know what Black women have been told and taught for decades, if not centuries, is that you know, we need to work, you know, twice as hard to get, you know, just as far, half as far, or um, we need to be perfect, right, in order to achieve the same, in order to even deserve the same things that, you know, our white counterparts have have gotten just by the advantage, right, of their race and or their their family dynamics. Um, So the power of believing that you're already worth it will allow you to lead your life from a more like restful and deserving place. Versus working so hard to get things. I love that. It's kind of like that me too when it comes to love. And they're like, I black women deserve love that they like don't have to endure pain first. Mm-hmm. The suffering. The mm-hmm. suffering first because we are taught that. Like we struggle love. Struggle mm-hmm. love. Like we're taught like, oh my you one thing, Dr. Ayana, nothing grinds my gears more mm-hmm. than going to a wedding or seeing a post and a person's like I love her so much. We've been through we've been through hell and back. Like I don't want the love that yep. we're through I don't hell want that. and back first. I don't want like, that. 
okay, now you can now now I'm gonna promote you to whatever. Like I yeah, I, I don't want that. I I have I have run my mouth so much on social media saying like we don't mm-mm, we yeah. off that we don't want that no more because if your praise comes with <clears throat> um, the list of all the BS you put me through, I don't want it. Right. I don't want it. And oftentimes when people, including even black women, how we talk about ourselves, but but oftentimes this comes from uh, men, whether partnered or not. It's, it's sometimes men talking about their mothers or men talking about their grandmothers. She worked so hard. She took care of everybody else. She sacrificed herself, right? And, you know, she would give the clothes off her back. No, no, mama, keep your clothes. Keep your clothes on, right? But they they the praise is related to sacrifice. You are praising me because I have sacrificed my entire self for you, and that is how you see me. You yeah. see me as a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Which means you treat me as such, right? So that's like where you get into the boundaries and all that kind of stuff. So I, it's it's really shifting that narrative that I want to be seen as, you know, more than someone who can do something for you. I want to be seen as a whole counterpart. I want to be seen as a whole person who has goals and aspirations and fears and vulnerabilities and wants and desires and needs and gets tired. Like I want to be seen as a full spectrum um, person versus you only seeing me for what you need from me. So true. So true. You know, you just said something about boundary and I actually screenshotted it from your page the other day. About Which one? I'll be wrong. Right about questions to ask to protect your time. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You give so many. Okay, this is not a question I originally sent you because <laughs> I'm like getting excited. Because okay, first of all, before I jump into the boundaries, by the way, my new my new line is restful and deserving. By the way, thank mm-hmm. you. For that. that is my new line. You just said, but you talk a lot about boundaries and protecting time, and I know that these boundaries align with our mental health, right? And with the whole strong woman syndrome. So what are some ways, and I know this wasn't an original question, but what are some ways that you teach um, some of the people that you've helped along their journey? How do you teach them to protect themselves, protect how to Mm -hmm. set boundaries? How, like, let it out. Like, how do they do that? You know, the you know first and foremost in, which, and I wish this was talked about more in terms of boundary work and specifically, more more specifically in my work with Black women. it is what I notice as a common theme is that it's it's most difficult to to set boundaries to know what the boundaries are when you're so disconnected from yourself. So a lot of the work that I do is helping women reconnect to their bodies, right? Which requires them to slow down, which requires them to reattune, which requires them to to shift their gaze, right, from the external, right, to the internal, because that's where your needs, right? That's where your your body is holding your needs. So the the first piece of that work is related to reconnection to the body and increasing the self-awareness, right, in terms of what the needs are in the first place. So oftentimes what I'm talking to women about at the beginning of this kind of work is just make a list of things you like and that you don't like. And I can't tell you how many people struggle with that because that's not language that they were ever taught. Mm-hmm. It's not language that they have been allowed to use in various spaces. So they literally do not have language to say, I like this. I don't like that. So we'll start with something and it might feel and kind of sound really basic, but I like I said, I can't tell you how many people really struggle with even making a list of that and to help women really listen to their bodies, right? To help them understand more of what they like and what they don't like. Cause your body will tell you things. Sure will. But we have learned to ignore ourselves. We have learned to kind of push past this. We have learned to ignore the backache, to ignore the headache, right? To ignore the dry mouth, to ignore the, you know, my foot hurts, right? We've been taught to ignore all those different symptoms, um, so reconnecting them to that to really kind of attune to, well, how does your lower back 
feel? Do you notice it? Like, do you even like, are you even connected with that part of your body enough to notice it? So we're getting back to the noticing, we're getting back to the observing, and then I can help you really assess what are my needs and not only my physical and physiological needs, but who are the people, right, who I notice that I smile around? Who are the people's phone calls that when I see that number come across, that a name come across, I dread the phone call? Who are the um, people that when I see that when I when I scroll past their page on social media, I feel worse about myself, right? Who are the people who I would call um, when I want to express something that I feel really excited about? Like all, making a list of the like, do you have people who fit those kinds of categories? Because that will give you data about your boundaries. That'll give you data about who you feel safe around. Um, that'll give you data about who has harmed you if you're paying attention to the data. So true. And we have been taught to not pay attention to the data. So a lot of the initial stages of the work is that kind of attunement and attending to and turning towards yourself. And then we, I'm usually looking at language. And usually what I'm assessing after that is, you know, there's three different things. There are some people who I, I work with who have the language for their boundaries. <clears throat> um, and there are some people who don't have who don't even have language for it. They don't know what they want or need. They just know they don't like what's going on. So I help them kind of explore language and build that. There are some people who have language, all right, but they don't have the courage. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know exactly what I like and what I don't like and what I need, but oh, I can't, I can't say it to them. They'd be mad at me. Yeah, It'll cause an argument. Nana will, you know, cuss and fuss at me all day at Thanksgiving, right? So that's a different kind of work. If you have the language, but you haven't built up the courage to be willing to disappoint people. I love that. So I'm usually assessing like where are people, and some people, sometimes people have the language, but they don't have all the language they need. Sometimes they have courage with some people, not with others. So I'm, I'm, we're usually kind of doing an assessment of that. And once we're clear around that, then we can decide kind of what is what is it that could be most helpful as we kind of take these smaller risks um, to kind of build up your um, your boundary practice. And I'm always reminding people that this is a practice. This is not a perfect practice. Your needs change over time as you change over time. You might have needed something in a relationship four years ago that you no longer need, right? So allowing also some flexibility um, and really helping people with the compassion that boundary setting requires, because this that's hard. Setting boundaries, so hard. <laughs> saying no to people, um, removing yourself from being responsible for how other people feel about things and what they do next is really, really hard work because we're taught from a really young age to people please. Yeah. We're taught to make other people comfortable so that they like us, give us the job, date us, accept us into college. Like we're we're taught people pleasing from a ooh, from a like probably from the age of like two or three. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So it is a lot of work to undo. It really, really is a lot of work to undo. Um, and allowing that to be work that is paced and work that is just infused with compassion all throughout um, is really helpful for people. This is really good stuff because I like breaking it up into those lists and like really just saying, okay, here are <clears throat> some of my no's. I'm looking at like, here are some of my yeses. Like, I do think we underestimate our physical body cues that tell us like this mm-hmm. is not good and also pain. Cause that's so true. Just when you use the analogy of looking at your color ID and seeing who calls you, like I know certain people are going to call me and ask for something. They're not calling to say, mm-hmm. how's, how's things going? I know already. Um, and all of that is data. All yeah. of that is data. Something for you to have that feeling in response to me is that something for you has, has been violated or crossed. It doesn't mean that that person is malicious and that you should you need to cut that person off, but that gives you an opportunity to get curious about what's coming up for you. So and true. curiosity is what leads us into change. 
you dropping all kind of one line. I remember when, <laughs> when um, Twitter was really like just coming out and like, and we'll go to an event and someone say something powerful and they'd be like, tweet that. Uh, you dropping all kind of tweet that. Because <laughs> it's, it's so true. I'm even thinking about, because I have a friend who um, she recently started seeing a physical therapist mm-hmm. and she was saying like, you know, I, I have like this back pain that was removed. And she was like, it just made me think, how long have I just been used to walking around with pain? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. is it not crazy that we just get equipped to just like dealing with stuff? Like, okay, my body hurts when I do this or yep. I get stressed out when this person called, but we just keep doing it. Like we, we just, just keep, keep doing, doing it, going through with it. Oh yep, black women are, are too, for our own good, right? We are too used to being tired. We are so self-included. I don't know anybody since I, I don't know what happened at 30, but since I turned 30, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say tired. And then I'm going to say, but I'm cool. Like that is just, and then that we are too, and I don't, we're not comfortable being tired, but we're too, we're, we're too good at it. We're too competent in tired being um, the backdrop for how we experience the world. I agree. I feel like we're uncomfortable when we're not tired. Like, I should mm-hmm. be doing something. I, I should be doing something. something. Yeah. Rest, is very, rest is very, very difficult. Rest is oftentimes really uncomfortable because it slows everything down. And you are forced to sit with whatever it is self is, whatever it is that comes to mind, whatever's happening in your body. And that is not a practice, one, oftentimes afforded to Black people and more specifically Black women. It's also not a practice that society and technology really supports. So, right, so they can they can do all these, and we have mindfulness apps, and all this can be really really helpful now. But <clears throat> the the culture, the culture of work, the culture of labor, the culture of parenting, the culture of all this, culture of self help, right, is always saying do more. You should be better. There's something else to work on. So we find ourselves like feeling like walking projects to yes. fix. Like, I'm just a like, walking self improvement project. Like I, I had to unfollow. This must have been a few weeks ago. I had to unfollow so many therapists because I'm just like. Mm-mm. I can't do this, do well, y'all. But everything you post, everything you post, I'm just thinking about myself and thinking about: Do I do that? It's too much. Yeah, too much. you're yeah. my peoples, as you know. That y'all my peoples, but I can't follow. I can't follow too many therapists. I yeah. to cut, and I still follow a lot. I had to cut. I think I cut out hundreds of therapists that I was following. Wow. I can't. I can't do it. Wow. I can't do it. You know, because sometimes it does begin to be that self-help. I mean, I'm all for it. And we talk about it like literally on every single episode. We end every episode with the self, like a self-care tip that you a should tip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, it can get overwhelming. Like, I think probably a couple of days ago, I wake up early. I do my five things I'm grateful for. I do my devotional. Those things make me happy. Mm-hmm. But I would also make me happy asleep. And I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> I slept in one day and I felt so good. Like, I Literally, mm-hmm. that is one of my things I'm grateful for. I had good sleep, and I felt like, okay, I gotta do this. I got so when you feel like you're rushing to do all these because it's mindful mm-hmm. have, it's the gratitude, it's the yep. all that stuff can. If it's too much at one time, it can feel like it's like a little bit overwhelming, you know. Yeah, it can really undermine the benefit of the care that you're trying to offer yourself if it now becomes if we get perfectionist about it. So self-care in mm-hmm. of itself is a, a really important practice and it's required for all of us in all this kind of way, right? But when it becomes um, something that you have to be so obedient to, that really shifts your relationship with caring for yourself. And that is oftentimes what happens in our society is that it's, our society thrives on obedience. Mm-hmm. The food, how much you work out, how many minutes, how many pounds you look, like all that stuff is about 
obedience, mm-hmm. not self, not care, not wholeness. That is about obedience. Um, and when you notice that you are responding to your body through a means of obedience, that that could be a time to get curious, to investigate, like, oh, is that actually helping me? Exactly. This pressure to be so obedient to this versus being responsive, which means some days I'm going to need sleep. And some days I'm gonna need my five my five root things in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so true. What's something that you wish you knew sooner on this journey? On this journey, when it comes to helping women um, and families, what is something that you wish you knew sooner? Something that I wish I knew sooner. <clears throat> I wish I knew. And I always like, ask this question because yeah, like yeah. we're in this space where we're having, I put this on every episode, but I always ask it because there's always that aha moment when it turns from being like helping to like, okay, this is purpose or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, what was that moment where you're like, man, I wish I knew that sooner because this is, impacts this and this impacts that. Like, mm-hmm. what was that moment like for you? Yeah. I And I was reading a book. I don't remember what book it was, but this, this is a book that really kind of highlighted to this. And it, it, there was some language around like disappointment. And I, and I wish I knew, I wish, I wish I knew this earlier that <clears throat> it is more important to be able to build up the skill in disappointing others than getting used to disappointing myself. Oh, sheesh. Okay. I, I've gotten really good at disappointing myself and just taking the L and just keep pushing it and just making sure other people are good and like making sure my clients are good, making sure whoever I'm dating is good, making sure my parents aren't upset with me. Like I got really, really good at that regardless of how I felt, regardless if I needed something and I might be letting myself down. I wish I knew earlier <clears throat> that I would receive more benefit from disappointing other people versus disappointing myself. That's a good one. Because no one's going to hold you accountable if you disappoint yourself. But mm-hmm. you, but mm-hmm. it, people that you, when you disappoint others, sometimes they would, they literally will forget and move on to mm-hmm. the next person. <laughs> mm-hmm. like they're not even paying attention to it. So, yeah. And I, no one will hold you accountable for disappointing yourself, but your body will hold you accountable because sure your body will begin to break down. Sure in the heck will. Oh my your God. body keeps the score. There's a book, right? Your body remembers. Your body keeps the score of these things. That is so true. I'm like, right? This is my favorite part. I feel like my brain gets bigger and bigger every single episode. I'm like <laughs> writing down all these lies. So let me ask you this. What is next for you? What is next for you? What can we expect for you? Because I know that our listeners are going to be like, oh my gosh, like Dr. Ayana is about the business. Like what can they, what are some of your offerings? How can they find you? Like what is next for you? Because I know we have a lot of listeners that want to definitely, you know, follow your next steps. Yeah. Um, so a few things that I, a few things that are coming up that I don't have any dates for, but there's a few things that are on the horizon that I'm currently planning for. So not so strong. <clears throat> life was life in and pandemic was happening, all that kind of stuff. So we, we had taken a break, but not so strong is getting um, uh, geared back up to begin to offer um, programming right around vulnerability, programming around mindfulness um, more and, and mindfulness and vulnerability specific to black women and storytelling um, and yeah, and kind of leaning towards that. So, so not so strong is getting geared back, geared back up. Um, so that's me and Dr. Kim. Um, for, I'm excited about that, by the way, because yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> um, for my practice, um, some things that are that are, and when I say coming up, I don't know when. I would love to say this summer, and I couldn't. I don't know when, but um, I am going to be. So I'm based in Atlanta, um, and I am uh, planning a boundaries boot camp for Black women. 
Ooh, okay. Um, so it'll be, I'm still deciding whether it be kind of a half day or a full day event, but really for us to to get to the practice of it in community with, with other Black women. Um, I have found across all of my work um, that we are better together and you can go deeper in this work. You can go further in this work when you are in safe and cultivated spaces. Um, so I'd like to create more of those um, in-person spaces for um Black women. So I'm thinking about a boot camp uh, that, I, like I said, will be half day or, or full day. Um, and I will be relaunching. Um, so I offer a three month um, boundaries for black women coaching program. Oh, okay. And I will be relaunching that program. I'm not sure if it's going to be three months. It might be a little bit shorter, but I'll be relaunching that program, which offers a group space um, for 10 black women. And we really just go through a practice of boundaries in all different areas of our lives. Um, but we meet weekly. We have a WhatsApp chat. I'm dropping a lot of resources, voice notes. There's just kind of community around um, around boundaries and kind of how it's showing up, but also getting to access other women also engaged in this work and being able to, to create that support. So that'll also be relaunching at some point um, this year. Um, and those are the main things that are coming up. Other than that, I'm just running my mouth all over the place and, I just post it and people can just listen to the podcast that airs or listen to this or come to the talk or come to the event. So I'm usually doing a lot of speaking engagements at different um, community things in Atlanta or um, different universities. I do corporate wellness. Um, so I come, I talk to a lot of companies about um, racism and trauma in the workplace um, as well as burnout and boundaries. So um, feel free to also invite me into, into those kind of, whoever, whoever's listening, invite yeah. me into those kinds of opportunities, nonprofit organizations, all that kind of stuff. So you got a lot on the horizon. You know <laughs> I do. <laughs> I love that you talked about too speaking of I actually wrote that down, the corporate like racism based trauma mm-hmm. from your bio because well jumping back up before we go to the Soul Star tip question. Um I love that you touch on that and you speak about that because I I think that is so underestimated. Mm, like, you mm-hmm. go to work, and I'm just going to be completely transparent because this is just, I didn't even, I actually highlighted this in my notebook, and we I got so caught up in our conversation, but I work in a predominantly white environment. I live mm. in a predominantly white neighborhood, and recently I was talking to my therapist, and I was just telling her of, like, new anxiety or, like, processing stuff, and one of the things she touched on, she's like, well, where are you connecting at, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, and she's like, all of your feelings make complete sense because where do you have that space? And I think we underestimate the trauma. I know you you probably deal with this all the time, particularly working with Black women, but I think we underestimate how much of what we see on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, today, you know, today when we're recording this episode, the whole um, thing with the young lady who was in Mexico and they're not charging these, charging the people she was with or. Jane Robinson. Mm-hmm. All of that is re-traumatization, right? Injustice, right? Yeah. Can lead to trauma. Yep. Yes. When you hear stuff like this, particularly as a black woman, like I think about, you know what I still can't get out of my head is um, this happened probably like seven or eight years ago was a black girl who got dragged by the police and she on the orange bathing suit. That girl lives yes. in the at the park or at the pool? At the pool. She was at a white pool party. She was only yep. on a pool. That lives mm-hmm. in my head. So mm-hmm. it's so hard to like walk. I mean, it's, it is hard. It's hard to walk around and you see all of this injustice is happening and then you see it happens to black women and you see it just swept on there and then the next day you have to get on a Zoom call and be smiling all day. Mm-hmm. Like it's so 
I thought I'm so happy that you touch and you do work on that. So do you do like workshops or what? How can we share more of this as well? Because we're seeing it. It's, it's just getting too much right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do. I offer workshops to um, companies. I offer workshops to leadership um, about how to take better care of black employees and or black um, women employees. I come in and speak to and or lead um, affinity groups for um, black employee research groups at various companies. I do all of those things, okay. right? Because we spend so much time in those spaces. And when those spaces are not safe, are harmful, um, but we depend on them for our livelihood, it really it it really puts us in a bind, right? Mm-hmm. Of taking care of ourselves when you are just constantly, and, and the things that can happen in the workspace, being ignored, um, being overlooked and kind of passed over for things, being criticized, being chastised, being ostracized, like all those things show up in the workplace. Um, being silenced, all that kind of stuff can really lead to um, a traumatic response. It can lead to a lot of anxiety for Black women. It can lead to a lot of depressive symptoms. It can exacerbate episodes for, you know, Black women who are at work who have bipolar disorder, right, or who have eating disorders, right? Stress can exacerbate all the things that we're already going through. Um, and a lot of people don't take it as seriously, right, that being and not, it's not about being black in a workplace, but it's being black in a workplace under the white gaze. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. I call it racism-based trauma, not race-based trauma. The mm-hmm. trauma is not based on you being black. The trauma is based on racism. Yeah. It's based on whiteness. Um, it's based on patriarchy. It's based on supremacy. It's not rooted in you. You are not the problem. Um, and really helping helping black women who are in a lot of these work environments um, understand that and find community. Oh, we gotta have you come back again. I feel like <laughs> the second group because I, you know, like uh, what do we see in Forbes at the highest, the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs is black women, mm-hmm. and I'm like, duh, duh. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, <laughs> right? So we are the highest. We are the highest and fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. We're also highest in. Um, Highest, if, maybe not highest, but we're, we're up there, whatever top, um, whichever number, um, in terms of businesses that aren't supported, don't have capital and fail exactly. first exactly. because we don't have the support. Exactly. So we don't have the support, right, to protect ourselves from white spaces, right, because banks deny us, right, because we already don't have the capital, right, because we are more likely to get fired or expelled and then we're thrust into entrepreneurship. We're not like building this for years, right, because we have generational money. There are all of these, right, contextual reasons um, why those numbers look the way they do. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we got to get you back again. And I definitely have to share this information with all my HR friends as well, because I think, you know, so many of these environments have invited people of color to come and work, but they did not necessarily make it a safe environment. Uh... That's a whole other conversation. I say, conversation. I say, don't don't welcome me to the boardroom if you're going to torture me. Exactly. You know, I don't want to be in the C-suite if you are going to torture me and ignore me and leave me off of emails exactly. and like, all that kind of stuff. Don't invite me in there. And there's a, you know, there's a phenomenon. Um, it's an article that had come out. Maybe it might have been Essence. It might have been another um, another uh, media company that talked about this um, this phenomenon called pet to threat. That a lot of black women experience. You bring me in because I have so much experience. I am yes. so educated. I am overeducated and overqualified yes. for this position. I come in to do the job. I start doing my job, and now all of a sudden I'm a threat. Mm-hmm. And now we have problems. Now I'm getting written up. Now I'm getting left off of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now all these different things are happening. Right? I was a pet. Right? Until I showed up for myself. Until I spoke up. Until I I acted 
how smart I am. And now you don't like me no more. Yeah. <laughs> right? it's a, and, and it's very, very disorienting for Black women, right? Because it's very, very confusing and it's got a lot of relational aggression to it. You're not going to fight me, but you're going to harm me in all these other ways that really impact my life. Um, it's the, it, like I said, it's called the pet to threat, um, phenomenon. Um, oh and gosh. black women experience this at such high rates in the workplace. It's a lot. It's a lot. So these kinds of conversations are really important so that black women can hear these things and feel seen and not feel as isolated, um, in their experiences. Absolutely. And so they also don't feel like they're making it up in their head. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I, I had a friend I shared, um, had two Latino friends that I told what was going on with me at not the company I work for now, but a previous company. And she's like, but China, you have a master's in China. You this. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not enough. And she couldn't really understand it. Um, and so I'm glad that we have these spaces and we're going to keep talking about it. Dr. Ayn, like we're going to keep until everyone hears it and feels comfortable because these experiences definitely exist. They're not made up. <laughs> Absolutely. And they have a they have really, really large implications, right, for our functioning and for our health. And again, like I said, because it's so day to day, it can it's pretty relentless, right? So being able to have community around it is really important. So true. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I know we said I, I, I kind of bashed all of these tips earlier, but they still are effective. And one of my other favorite parts besides the bio is the soul star tip. So the Soul Star tip, and we give it at the end of each episode, is something that when our listener listens to this episode, that they could take immediate action. So what is your Soul Star tip for our listeners? My Soul Star tip, oh, there's so many different directions. Um, <laughs> because my, my Soul Star tip was, was about to be too vague because I was going to say start now, because oftentimes we try to find a perfect time to start you know, improving something, right? Versus like start now, do not wait right, to um, to get better at something. Do not wait for your own, do not wait on health, right? Um, uh, kind of activate that sooner. Um, but start now, what I would say is something that you can do now is make a list of, let me go with three because I was going to say five, make a list of three people who you miss. Three people who you miss talking Aww. to who you want to talk to again. Aww. And part two is contact them. Tell them you miss them. Oh, that warms my heart. <laughs> three, three people who you miss, and it, and it doesn't have to be like any any big kind of dramatic thing, but just three people who's just like, man, huh? I want to check. I miss either that. the way we used to do this, or I miss you know going to the gym, or whatever it is, because we get off track with stuff. Just name three people who you miss. Tell them you miss them. I love that. I really want our. Okay, so I'm based in New York. I really want our New York listeners to get that because this city mm. moves so fast, so mm-hmm. fast. That, I mean, I think people, I'm not to say that other cities and states don't do that, but I think, well, okay, I'll just say everyone. We all get so caught up in our day to yes. in our to-do yes. list. And just hearing about three, like writing a list of three people, when you just said that in my head, my heart just warmed. Like my heart just warmed for that because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it is three people. Three people. It doesn't have to be some extensive conversation. You know, I got to dig in there. Just let people know. Let people know that you miss them. I love that. That's a practice in vulnerability. Telling the truth. Oh, okay now. <laughs> you brought it back to our original point. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, Dr. Ayana, I really enjoyed today's conversation. I thought I could talk to you for hours, but this is so <laughs> good. We have to peel back so much. And definitely one of my favorite episodes. And I definitely want to thank you for doing your work. And I can't 
express this enough. Every time when I interview someone on this podcast, I get really excited and I learn something, but I definitely learned so much from you and really grateful for your gifts. I thank you for pushing the envelope and I think definitely thank you for advocating for a space for black women in health and wellness. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for naming that. Thank you for acknowledging that. No problem. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to an amazing episode of Soul by the Pound podcast, and we look forward to speaking with you soon.